He will keep you in perfect peace. It doesn't matter what is raging around you. He will keep you in perfect peace. But let me share this. God's peace doesn't answer all the questions. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Today I start a brand new series on the storms of life. How many here have ever went through a struggle? Okay, we have a few honest people. How many right now are in the middle of a struggle? Okay, we have a few more honest people. See, folks... Storms are a part of life. They are a part of what we deal with. And it, it, is, it is what it is. But yet, in God's word, God tells us why storms happen, what do we do while they're happening, and what do we do after they've happened. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to try to address all of these issues. Why? Because storms aren't going away. Struggles aren't going away. If you have your Bibles or you have the notes on the screen, Second Kings is the place that I'm going to start with. The Bible records, depending on the version of your Bible, one of the Bibles will say the king of Aram. Uh, most of the translations will say the king of Syria. They're synonymous areas. And the Bible talks about a man named Elisha. Elisha was a powerful servant of God, a powerful prophet of God. He was a guy that God spoke to, just like you and I are speaking together right now. And God spoke to him completely and incessantly. Whenever something was happening with Israel, whenever something was happening with situations, God would speak to Elisha. Well, this is where we pick up this passage in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. You can actually go back to the first verse and start out. And you'll find that this king of, of Aram or this king of Syria, they were opposed to Israel. And they were trying to conquer Israel. They were trying to fight Israel. But every single time that the king would, would plot a plan, Israel would find out. The king of Israel would find out what was going on. And so he called all of his magistrates together. He called all of his leaders together and said, which one of us are a traitor? Which one of us are a spy? And the leaders all said, Master, none of us are. But there is a man in Israel that hears what you talk about in your chambers. And he tells the king of Israel. The prophet's name is Elisha. 
And so all, the, all of a sudden the king of Aram or the king of Syria plots a course to do what? Later for Israel, I got to deal with this dude, Elisha. And so he puts all of his army and all of his military together and they go out and they surround Elisha. He's in a, in a place called Dothan. And he is there and he is just as, just as snug as a bug in a rug. But his servant didn't know God quite as well as Elisha. Oh, he knew God and, and he lived for God. I'm assuming that Elisha wouldn't have had him. But he wasn't on that same working relationship that Elisha was. Which brings me to you and I. There has to be a willingness. There has to be a purposefulness for you and I to get on that walking, talking relationship with God. You say, Pastor, you mean I can hear God's voice? You definitely can. I hear God's voice all the time. God speaks to me. And I've seen much of what he said come to pass. And I've heard many things that he said that I shouldn't do and I don't do. I could tell you stories, but time doesn't allow this morning. But I'll take you into this passage and talk about this man, Elisha. Talk about this people, his servant, and all the others. And in the midst of this message in this series, you're going to find you. And you're going to find that God wants to have that intimate relationship. It's not about God not wanting. It's about you and I being willing. We have to invite God into the storms of our lives. We have to invite God. We don't invite him by complaining. We don't invite him by, by crying and getting all exacerbated. We invite him by trusting saying, God, don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. I'm living for you. I'm loving you. I'm putting you first. I'm trusting you, and I'm here. So if all you say in your word is true, then that means you're here too. Are you okay? And that's the place we have to be. Are you with me so far? One night, the king of Syria, in your notes, sent a great army of many chariots and horses to surround the city, the city of Dothan. The prophet's servant got up early the next morning and went outside. Now, I can just picture Gehazi. I can picture him walking out to the edge of the area uh, and looking out the window. You know, he's got that, that morning prayer. I get up every morning and, and I go on our back balcony and I'm out there just walking around and praying. And, and I, I look out there and I have, we got, you know, geese flying over. We got ducks all over the place. We have chicken, not chickens. Yeah, turkey vultures. We don't have turkeys either. We had turkey vultures all over the place. Uh, uh, we have deer. We have elk and stuff. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I just enjoy that. I'm praying. I'm talking to God. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, walking on my balcony and, and uh, just having a good time. But I can imagine uh, the prophet's servant walking out there and he's probably got a, a cup of, of, of Israel's finest in his hands. And he's walking around out there on the balcony. And, and all of a sudden he gets the sleep out of his eyes and he notices something. And he's figured, oh, man, it's just got to be, so, oh, I got to get my eyes clear. Puts his glasses back on or whatever they might have wore back then. And he starts looking and he said, we got company. And they don't look like happy campers. And they're surrounding them. He runs back into the house and he says, master, master, 
There's horses, there's chariots, there's troops, they're everywhere. What do we do? Now look at me. Get your eyes off the notes. Look at me. You're right in the middle of one of the greatest tumults of your life. What do you do? What do you do? Have you been there? Folks, I have. I've been there more times than I like to admit. But I will admit this. I'll be there yet again. I'll be there yet again. Look at Elisha's response. Three words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If I could stop right there and I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about those three words. And if I could get you and I, I could get us to really impregnate those things in our lives. Why do I mean by impregnate? To where they would grow. Don't be afraid. I could help you to understand that no matter where you are right now, you got nothing to be afraid about. I don't care what they do. I don't care what the devil do. Okay, that's not good English, I guess. I was going to go a little bit further there, but we won't. If you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you realize this preacher says all kinds of stuff. And it's usually good stuff, but it can be kind of questionable at times. I tell people, say, you're amazed at what I say. Be more amazed if you knew what I wasn't saying. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. What are you going to do? Don't be afraid. And then I want you to underline this next phrase. There's seven words. For our army is bigger than theirs. Will you underline that in your notes, please? Our army is bigger than theirs. I see a lot of people not underlining. If you don't have a pen, borrow it from somebody. You say, well, pastor, I know that. I know, but when you're in the middle of a storm, you forget all about it. So if you physically do something and you write it, it might get put into your head, in my head. Our army is bigger than theirs. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. If when you and I were dealing with things and I could get you to just be able to open your eyes. I, I talk to people. There's situations that happen in my life. There's situations that happen in people's lives. And, and, and I've had people, Pastor, doesn't anything affect you? Well, the answer is yes. But I choose not to let it. I have to make a choice of which battlefield I'm going to live on and which battlefield I'm going to die on. I'm always going to be fighting, folks. So I'm going to be on one battlefield or the other until the day Jesus comes to take me home. I'm going to be on one battlefield or the other. I have to choose which one it's going to be, the one I fight on or the one I die on. And there's only one worth dying on, and that's the one when Jesus shows up and said, Are you with me? Says, Yes, Lord, to the death. Because I died a long time ago. I was flying to Philippines to do a, a pastor's conference Many years ago, and, and uh, I was leaving from, from uh, Manila, and I was flying into Mindanao, into the uh, uh, Cotabato City, and then out to a place called Messiah to do a pastor's conference. And I was going on this segment of the trip. I had a team of people of about six or eight people with me, and I was going on, on this segment of the trip by myself. 
And one of the, one of the young people that was probably his first missionary trip, he walked out to me and, and, and he said, Pastor, I mean, you're going to a place that is Muslim-occupied that two weeks before you were getting there, they just killed six Christian missionaries. And you're going there by yourself. Aren't you afraid of dying? And it sounds a little trite right now. But I looked at him and said, son, I died a long time ago. My focus is on living and helping them see the life of Christ in me. And so I went. And the story, actually, I actually almost died in, in, in uh, Mindanao. I, my appendix was going to uh, explode. So I'm, I don't recommend it, but I had my appendix taken out in the middle of the jungle in the Philippines. Not recommended. But can I tell you something? I was in a storm. I was in one of the most tumultuous times, the closest that I've ever been to death in the natural that I know. But guess who's right there with me? Well, how do you know? I'm still here. Okay? And so the reality is I died a long time ago. I've got to make a decision. Which field I'm going to fight on, which field I'm going to die on. He said, open his eyes, Lord, that he can see. And the Lord opened his eyes. Brothers and sisters, if you get this one spot as we start, he said, I, his eyes were opened. And on the hillside, he saw horses and chariots of fire and soldiers and a, and a militia that just dwarfed everything that the servant could ever think to deal with. Can I tell you the same thing as in your life in every single situation you face? Can you say amen? You see, the servant, all he could do was see the storm clouds looming. But can I tell you something? God already knew, and he was about to show up. Can somebody get excited in the house? Storms are a part of life. They are a problem that Christians face every day. The problem that I see with Christianity is not necessarily understanding God's word that we're going to have problems. It is man's teaching of God's word in the hour we live. It seems that the church is more inclined to preach on the blessings of God than they are to deal with the difficulties of life. Therefore, when the blessings subside and the difficulties rise, we wonder where the heck is God? I want to look at the, this beginning of this series from God's perspective in what I call being safe in the eye of the storm. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. The Bible says immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, let me lay the foundation of this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. The Bible says plus women and children. He had just fed them all. He had just helped them all. He had just set them all free. Okay, and, and delivered them in that situation. But then he made the disciples immediately. Do you know what I think Jesus was doing? He was good, not going to let them wallow in their victory. They were not, he was not going to let them just sit back and say, Hey, oh man, look at me. Wow, look at this. Jesus wanted them to realize, it's not about you, it's about me. Are you okay? And Jesus told them immediately, get in the boat. And go to the other side. And we know the passage. They got in the boat to go to the other side, which was Bethsaida. And he went to dismiss the crowd. Why would it be any other way that Jesus 
did the dismissal himself. He didn't want the folks to close. Can I tell you when something goes good? Oh, man, we praise God for about two seconds. And we think somehow or another that we brought it together. But when things are going bad, man, it's a different story altogether. Jesus went and dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, what did Jesus do? He went to pray. You know why he went to pray? He knew the boys were about to fix and to learn a lesson. They were preparing to understand the presence of God. When the evening had come in the middle of the lake, he was alone on the land. But I want you to underline these words. It's in your notes. He saw them. Underline those words. He saw them. Where does the Bible say? They were in the middle of the lake. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. The you know, Sea of Tiberias is the same. It's a synonymous term. It's big. It's, it's miles and miles and miles across. Jesus, the Bible says, saw them in the middle of a lake. Saw them in the middle of a lake. He was on the mountaintop. What are you saying, Pastor? I don't care where you are. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how bad the storm is. He's watching you. If you're his child, his eyes are never off you. He is the eye of the storm. And if you've ever studied storms, scientists and all of these these, uh, meteorologists and stuff, they take planes and they fly them directly into the eye of the storm that they can study it. Oh, it is a tumultuous uh, mess going on all around them. But they are safe as a baby in a blanket. (coughs) They're safe. Just like you, just like me. It is raging around me, but I'm safe in the eye of the storm. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Folks, how many times has life been against you just like the wind was against them? Life's like that. It can be like a full gale force wind blowing against us. You know something I learned a long time ago? When the windows of heaven are open to bless us, the gates of hell are open to blast us. And it's never going to change in this life. Let's go on quickly here. We can know God's peace. Oh, the storm is raging, but we can know God's peace. Why? Because God's peace and promises, even in the midst of the storm, are still obtainable. He has promised to immediately get us to the other side if we will invite him in to our difficulty. Now, did you notice? He didn't didn't just... Just stop the situation. He immediately got them to a place of victory. You see, the Bible says that God's peace is beyond finding out. It's a peace that passes all understanding. We find that in Philippians 4, 7. Look what Isaiah 26, 3 says. He will keep them in perfect peace. What's the next line say? Whose mind is steadfast. Because he trusts in you. He will keep you in perfect peace. It doesn't matter what is raging around you. He will keep you in perfect peace. 
But let me share this. God's peace doesn't answer all the questions. What do you mean, Pastor? It sounds like a like double talk. Are you, are you doing this Yoda thing that everybody says you do? <laughs> kind of, sort of, maybe. God's peace doesn't answer all the questions. But when it doesn't work out the way you think, God's peace will help you not to question the answer. To be content. See, that's what Hebrews 13 tells us. It says, be content in such things as you have. And people think, well, that means if I have a lot, I should be content. If I have nothing, I should be content. That's not what he's talking about at all. Read it in context. God's peace, God, God says, be content in such things as you have, for it is written. That little phrase right there tells you this is what your contentment is in. It wasn't the phrase before, it was the phrase after. For it is written, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's where God's contentment comes. That's where God's peace comes. Here is the problem, ladies and gentlemen, that many Christians face. And that is how we choose to deal with our Christianity. Let me make this statement. Christianity is a lifetime of lifestyle, not a facade of feelings. It is a lifetime of lifestyle, not a facade of feelings. I read a story one time about a pastor who had developed a heart disease that left him tired and unable to function as a pastor. His doctor gave him little hope of quality or quantity of life. So in frustration, the pastor decided to go to another doctor in another area who was a heart specialist. After a rigorous examination, the pastor asked, Doctor, can you help me? And the doctor resounded, Yes, I can. Well, after the surgery and after the recovery, the pastor returned to church. And I related to this when I read the story. Returned to the church and his work renewed. Coming back for a follow-up exam, he thanked the doctor for the returning quantity and quality to his life. And I want you to listen to what the doctor said because this applies not just to pastors. This applies to you as well. And the doctor said, you know, I've had a part in helping you with your quantity of life, with the amount of time you're going to live. But only you can deal with the quality of your life. I have found so many Christians that get into arguments over the most insignificant of things. They won't forgive. They're embittered by situations. They're angry, hateful, bitter because of something that happened. And Jesus said, don't you know what that's doing to the quality of your life? Let alone if you die with that unforgiving heart, what it'll do with the quantity of your life. It'll change your entire eternity. See, the doctor said, I had the ability to help you with the quantity of your life, with how long you're going to live, but I can't do anything about the quality of your life. That is up to you. Ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the storms, for us to have the quality of life, we have to remember that God is with us. The question that is ever before us is will there be any quality in our life as a result of the storm we just faced? <coughs> or are we going to le- choose to live in the, in the throes of what the storm has left after? 
You see, I have to make a decision. How am I going to deal with what just happened? How am I going to live on? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what the boss did. You don't know what my wife did. You don't know what my husband did. You don't know what my children did. You don't know about that. You don't. Folks, you're right. I don't. But he does. And just like Elijah or Elisha and his servant, all the servant could see was the storm's clouds were looming. But God said, no worry. I knew the storm was coming. So I showed up beforehand to help you. Go through it. Ah, oh, man, somebody better get excited with that statement. God showed up just to help me get through it. Can I hear you say amen? You see, will the trials of life make you better or will they make you bitter? Will they make you determined or will they make you depressed? Will they strengthen you or sour you? See, the perhaps the best question that I can ask is not why did this thing happen? But what am I going to do now that it has? We're going to try to address all those things over the next few weeks. I've developed a new perspective of rose bushes over the years. And that perspective comes from asking this question. Do bushes with thorns have roses? Or do rose bushes have thorns? See, life has never been promised to be a bed of roses. And if it was, there's still a bunch of thorns involved. There was a man riding through the country and he saw a farmer's weather vane. You know what a weather vane is? Everybody know what a weather vane is? It's that thing that shows direction on the top of a barn or a house or something. Shows which way the wind's blowing. And this man was going through the countryside and, and he was looking at this farmer's weather vane. And on the weather vane, the man had the words... <coughs> The man had the words on the weather vane, God is love. Well, the fellow that was riding through the countryside was a little bit indignant. And he came up to the gate of the farmer. He said, what do you mean by that? Do you think that God's love is changeable and it veers with the arrows as the wind would change directions? And the farmer just looked at the fellow riding through the countryside. He said, Oh, no, sir. I mean that regardless which way the wind blows, God is still love. God is still love. Storms are going to happen in your life and mine. And God is still the one that's going to help you through it. Can you say amen? amen. I need a rag. I spilt my, my communion juice up here, and it's getting all over everything. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Napkins work perfectly. Thank you, John. How you doing? I've been praying for you. You know God's going to get you through this. Pastor, you can't talk about people's stuff in front of him. Well, sure I can. That means all of you start praying for him too. His name's John and he needs your prayer. Is that okay, John? Yeah. Well, what is it about? That's none of your business. If John wants to tell you, that's up to John. Okay? But God wants all of us praying for each other. Say, Pastor, do you get need prayer? Every bit you can give. That was my wife that said amen the loudest. I did. I just spilt it right there. In John chapter 6, verse 21, we find this same passage uh, recorded about 
the disciples being on the water. And I want you to look at this because it's pertinent to what I'm talking about today. They were, the Bible says, Jesus came walking to them on the water and they were afraid. They thought it was a ghost. But look at the words they said in John chapter 20, chapter 6, verse 21. If it's in, I think I left it in your notes. Look what it says here. They were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately they got to the other side. They were willing. Underline those words. They were willing. You see, there was a storm. There was a struggle. There was a difficulty they were facing. They had to make a choice whether to let Jesus come aboard of it, to be part of it, to come on board, to take care of it. And the Bible says they were willing. And immediately they went to the other side. You know what God does? I outlined it, and I want you to put a big circle around the 107th Psalm because I left it in your notes. He stilled the storm to a whisper. You know what that represents? That raging tumult in your mind, that, 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 that fear, that aggravation, that frustration. Thank you. He calmed it to a whisper. He calmed it to a whisper. He stilled the storm that was raging inside their minds. What's going to happen? What's going to go on? What are we going to do now? He calmed it to a whisper. And then he took the physical situation. Look what it says here. He took the waves of the sea and he hushed them. You know what he did? That fear and uncertainty that was gripping you and and you're biting your teeth. He hushed it. He said, don't worry. I'm going to take care of the fear in your heart too. I'm going to deal with what's in your mind and I'm going to take care of what's in your heart. Quickly in your notes, we can have God's protection. We can have God's protection. But it's only under His guidance that we can have His protection. You see, the presence of life's problems does not mean the absence of God's protection. We see this played out in in Job's life. Let me say it again. The presence of life's problems does not mean the absence of God's protection. We have the privilege of reading the 44 chapters of of Job. We have the privilege of, of reading what happened, how God showed up, the devil showed up, Friends showed up, but in the end, God fixed it all up. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, Satan comes to God and it says, Hey, why, why, why does Job have to worry about anything? You've got a hedge of protection about him. Can I tell you something, folks? He has a hedge of protection about you. If you are a child of God and you're trusting in him, he's got a hedge of protection about you. And the devil comes to Job and God says, Okay, fine, you can do whatever you want to. Everything's in your hands, but don't lay a hand on him. Don't lay not even a hand, a finger on him. So the Bible says Job went, or the devil went back and, and did what he did. And all of a sudden, the devil comes showing up again in, in Job, Job chapter 2, verse 6. And he said, oh, what? hey, the guy's got everything. You know, what's the deal? I mean, what, what, you know, he has no reason to trust you. He's got everything. How many found people that have everything and say, well, they have no reason to trust God? 
Well, in Job chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says that God told Job, okay, fine. Everything he has, you can do whatever you want to with it. You just can't take his life. What am I saying to you folks? You may lose everything, but God's still got you in his hand. Everything may fall apart, but God's still got you in his hand. Everything may not go the way you think it should, but God said, don't worry. I still got your life. Matter of fact, in the book of Matthew, he said, don't fear the one that can destroy your life. Fear the one that after your life is destroyed can destroy your soul in hell. See, that's not the... That's not the stuff that the church likes to preach. That's not the stuff that the people want the preacher to preach. I want to hear the blessings of God. I want to hear the goodness of God. I want to hear the great things. Folks, I do too. But when the struggles of life are happening, I want to know how does God say I'm supposed to deal with this? And if nobody tells me about it, how am I going to do anything about it? Am I making sense today? Anything you want to do, devil, but you can't kill him. There's a statement that I've made for years that nothing touches the father's child until it first touches the child's father. God has to allow what's happening in your life. And the truth is, if God took you to it, if you're living for him and you're in the middle of something, if God took you to it, he will get you through it. Matthew chapter 7, look what it says here. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and then I want you to underline this in your notes, and puts them into practice. You see, we, we want to be the James 4 Christian. Resist the devil and he will flee. And we stand there, we're resisting. We look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. We're doing everything we can do to resist the devil. The problem is if we forget chapter 4, verse 8, that says, submit yourself first to God. Then resist the devil. And he has no choice but to flee. Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on a rock. The storms came, the winds blew. And it didn't fall because it was built on a rock. But then he goes on to say, the one that didn't put them into practice is like the foolish man. The one who tries to live the Christian life without Christ. The one who, who walks around. I, I was talking a few weeks ago. We just finished a series on, 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 uh, on, 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 uh, on uh, and I'm a pastor and I forgot the series. <coughs> uh, the journey of hope. I saw that chuckle on your face there. Pastor Philemon's chuckling at me here. A journey of hope. And I was talking about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great had a young man that was falling asleep at his post. He was dealing with stuff and he was not doing a very good job. He came to the great commander, Alexander the Great. He was shoddily dressed and he was kind of out of sorts. And the commander looked at him and said, what is your name? And the boy very timidly said, Alexander, sir. And the great Alexander did not hear, and he shouted to him, What is your name? And the boy stood up, Alexander, sir. 
To which Alexander the Great responded, you change your name or you change your ways. Ladies and gentlemen, there's too many Christians that are not living Christian. The name on your door is going to make little difference on that day. It's the name on your heart that's going to change your life. Change your name or change your ways. If you're not going to live like a Christian, don't call yourself one, please. Oh, I got three amens out of that. If you're not going to live like a Christian, don't call yourself one, please. Oh. That's worth recording right there, Bob. He said, the wise man applies the word. The fool does not. I think it's kind of interesting. Do you know what that passage follows? The infamous passage that says, Lord, haven't we cast out devils in your name? Lord, haven't we done this in your name? Lord, haven't we done that in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, God's protection is in conjunction with our obedience. With Jesus in your life, you can withstand any storm. Can you say amen? I was living in San Francisco. I was pastoring, not in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. I was pastoring a church in, in uh, uh, Sunnyvale, San Jose area in 1989 when, when the great earthquake happened that almost destroyed, you know, I mean, it destroyed tens of thousands of pieces of property, hundreds of millions or whatever dollars of life. And we were there and, and uh, I was pastoring there. And I tell you what, our churches were never so full for about two weeks. Then everybody got custom, com- comfortable. All the, all the aftershocks stopped. And I was there, and, and I was a part of that. But I, was, I thought it was intriguing as I watched the, the people that were the first responders and all that kind of stuff. And they brought out great articles because so many buildings, you saw the pictures, and, uh, buildings that just crumbled. You saw some that were just, just like, you know, somebody just hit them with a battering ram and they just kind of laid crushed on the side. After all the study, in, after the 1909 earthquake, they put a new standard in place about how to build buildings, but they didn't put enough of a standard in place because they had people build them on solid foundations. They had them build them on that, but they forgot to say they have to anchor them to those solid foundations. And majority of the earthquake damage that happened in the area were the places that were not anchored to their foundation. Can I tell you something? When the storms of life come, if you're not anchored to the foundation whose name is Jesus Christ, you will crumble. It's not maybe. It's not possibly. It's not could be. You will crumble if you're not anchored to that rock who is Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our certainty, our promise. You see, as believers, we need to be firmly attached to the rock of our salvation. No more him hawing. No more possibly this or possibly. I either am or I ain't. I'm a saint or I'm an ain't. I can't be both. I read a story about a guy that wanted to commit suicide. You say, Pastor, how is this going to be applicable to this message? I thought the same thing when I decided to add it, but I thought, yeah, this will work. So the boy saturated his body with gasoline. He put a rope around his neck. He tied it to a tree limb and jutted it out over to a river. 
And then just to seal the whole thing, he had a pistol in his hand set to his temple and a match ready to light himself on fire. Well, he set the match to his body, jumped from the tree, pulled the trigger of the pistol. The pistol missed the temple and the bullet hit the rope, cut the tree, cut the rope, fell into the water, breaking the branch and put the flames out immediately. He climbed up on the bank of the river gasping and said, Wow, if I hadn't been such a good swimmer, I would have drowned. <laughs> Folks, you either get in all the way or you don't. It's like the guy, come, he jumped off a 50-story building and said, Pastor, what's this stuff with suicide? I don't know. He jumped off a 50-story building and going past a 30-story window, somebody yelled out the window, How's it going? And the guy said, So far, so good. Folks, we're either all in or we're not. We either are Christians and we're, we're foundationed to the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. If we're not, we'll never know God's providence. As I bring this to a close this morning. Pastor, what does close mean to a preacher? Absolutely nothing. But I'll work on it for the next five minutes. Psalm 37 says the footsteps of a good man are directed of God. He delights in each step he takes. Now, you notice I say that word good man. How do you become good? You have to have God. You take God out of good, you got nothing left. So the picture here is a man who's trusting God. Sets the steps of a good man are ordered of God. He delights in every step he takes. If they fall, Look what it says. It will not be fatal because God's got him. Where? In his hand. He said, devil, you can do anything you want to, but don't take his life. God has it in his hand. And then the scripture goes on to say, I've been young, I've been old, but in all my years, I've never seen God forsake anyone who loves him. And I've never seen God's children go hungry. You and I must trust that God is in full control of everything. That is called providence. I live a providential life. Good, bad, right, or wrong, up or down, God's in control of my life. Can you say amen? amen. 1846, Quincy Adams, John Quincy Adams, one of our presidents, suffered a stroke. And although he returned to Congress the following year, his health was clearly failing. Daniel Webster, who was a dear friend of his, described his last meeting with Adams. And I want you to listen to what he says. He said a friend of his came in at the time we were visiting and made a particular inquiry about John Adams' health. And look what John Adams said. Did I leave this in your notes? Okay, this is a great. I wanted to make sure I... Folks, my notes and your notes, I've got five and six pages of notes. I can barely get three and a half pages into your outline. So you'll, your notes are always a bit different than mine. Still, the meat of it is all there, but I can't fit it all in. That's why I asked, did I leave that in there? He came in and John Adams answered this way. And listen what he says. He says, I inhabit a weak, frail, decayed temper, a tenement. It's battered by the winds and broken in by the storms. And from all I can tell, the landlord does not intend to repair in other words, his landlord was Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not fixing it up. 
It's time to come home. It's time to come home. As the worship team comes, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 9 through 13 says these words. I took you from the ends of the earth. I used this in the conclusion of our sermon last week. I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners, and I called you. Can I tell you, you're not saved by chance. You're saved by choice. You chose to call upon the name of the Lord. It's not, it's not eternal selection. God did not at the foundation of the world choose, well, this person's going to be saved. I'm going to save Dan, but I'm not going to save Loria. I'm going to save uh, 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 Rose, but I'm not going to save Philemon. I'm going to save Anne, but I'm not going to save Judy. God didn't do that, folks. God said, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, I called you and you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. So don't be afraid. Doesn't that sound familiar? Elisha told his servant, do not be afraid. I am with you. Don't get dismayed because I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And here it comes. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. You and I are his prized possession. We're going to face storms. We live in a fallen world. So many people, why if God was a God of love, why is there abortion? Because we live in a fallen world. Why is there murder? Because we live in a fallen world. Why is there theft? Why is there death? Why is there? Because we live in a fallen world. And until that day that Jesus comes back, that eastern sky is split wide open. And he says, okay, kids, today is the first day of Rosh Hashanah. I was at a prayer meeting this morning with Jenny and the, and the group, and we were there, and, and if you might have heard it down here, but she was blowing the shofar, which is the custom of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Well, 10 days from now starts Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Rosh Hashanah, God cleaned house. God got everything, everyone straightened up and fixed up. And then he said, come on, guys, I want to forgive you. They set the blood on the ram's head and they sent it out into the wilderness. I know a lot about Judaism. I know a lot about the ceremonies. I know a lot about this stuff. Because a lot of it's applicable today. A lot of it was fulfilled. You see, the Bible says that the spring feast, Passover, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, all the different, uh, all the different uh, holidays. Thank you. Holidays. You know what the word holiday means? Separated in two words. Holy day. We decided to take God out of it and call it a holiday. They used to be called holy days. And the Bible talks about all of the original feasts uh, are fulfilled. When Christ came the first time, Pentecost, Passover. My mind's going blank here. All the spring feasts were full. But guess what? All of the fall feasts are not yet fulfilled. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Tabernacles, but they're all preparing to be. They're all preparing to be. This is the year 577. Thank you for reminding me this morning. 577, 5777 on the Jewish calendar. Five represents the grace. 
Seven represents fulfillment, completeness, wholeness. Jesus said, by my grace, I'm fixing to fulfill everything. And I don't know, folks. We're entering into the year of Jubilee. The year of everything being washed away and all things beginning new. Folks, all I know is I'm not looking for blowing up. I'm looking for going up. But before I'm going up, there's a whole lot of blowing up in this world that's going to happen. And you and I have to face it. You and I have to deal with it. How do we deal with it? We realize we're safe in the palm of his hand. Why? Because the eye of the storm has never taken it off of me. And in the midst of the greatest difficulty, he still knows where I am. And he will get me where I'm going. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has ever seized you that is not common to man. In other words, everybody's going through similar stuff all around the world. And it says God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. He will not let you go through anything you cannot handle. But when you are tempted, tried and tested, he said, I will make a way to escape. Look at this, that you can bear up under it. He didn't say I took you away from it, but I gave you the strength to go through it. Zechariah 2.8 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, that whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Just as you are. Just where you are. You got struggles? God said, I want you to get me in the middle of it. You didn't know it was for you today, did you? You didn't know it was for you today, did you? Ladies and gentlemen, storms are not going away. Storms are not going away. We got to learn how to live in them. We got to learn how to go through them. And then we have to learn how to be victorious after them. That's what this series is about. If I've ever preached a series that I tell you not to miss, don't miss this series. Because we're all going to go through it to one degree or another. But what am I going to do while I'm there? Well, today we talked about it. The wise man puts God's word into practice. God, I know what's happening. But I know you're there. And I'm in your hands. If today you're in the midst of a storm, you're in the midst of a struggle, and you say, God, I haven't invited you in yet. Oh, maybe you have in passing. Oh, Jesus, I need help. And then you go on your way and just keep, everything just keeps beating at you. 
He's beating at you. And you haven't stopped that little boat of yours called life. And say, God, I've been controlling this thing too long. Here's the controls. You drive. See, I'm not a believer of the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Let him have the stinking wheel, folks. It's in the mess it is because got the wrong driver. Oh, it doesn't mean that we did everything wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. It just, he knows how to do it right. He just said, let me get in the boat. Let me get in the boat. Pretty dark right now. Here's an old-fashioned altar up here. That Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I want to give you rest. I just want to open these altars as we prepare to sing this song. And I know we had the altars open earlier, but just for a minute. Maybe you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, well, what do I do? You make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Give Him control of your boat. Well, I am a Christian. And pastor, I'm not just the one that just, you know, has the name. I'm really trying to live the life. Great. Let Him have the controls. If you're not a Christian, let him get in your boat. Become one. If you are a Christian and things are still pretty messed up, let him have the controls. And if you know you're in that storm and he is in the boat and he is controlling it, sit back, keep your hands and feet inside, and enjoy the ride. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. Thank you.